Hey guys, what's up? It is week 165. Let's just hop right into this because uh, I got a lot to talk about, I think. So the first one is from Arrow Video, made in 1988. It is Dream Demon. And uh, this was a British film. And uh, I had heard a little bit about it, but I hadn't heard much. I hadn't had like a hearty recommendation for it. So I had a VHS of it for years and years, and I never watched it. And it was one of these ones that I've heard in passing, like I said. And then, so I put this in, and I don't really know what to expect. And why had no one told me about this movie? Where has Dream Demon been my entire life? This is an absolutely absurd, crazy movie. I know it came out in 88, so right in the heyday of the Nightmare on Elm Street and Nightmare on Elm Street sequels. So people are probably automatically like, oh, this is a Nightmare on Elm Street dream, not logic, craziness, ripoff. And yes, it's definitely, you know, has Nightmare on Elm Street kind of sentiments and stuff like that. But this movie is bonkers and super weird, and I love the hell out of it. Um... It is sometimes inept and just so strange it's hard to follow, but um, almost all films involving dream logic are. So, okay, here's what we have here. We have uh, this woman who she's she's um, getting married to this looks like rich kind of military guy. He's kind of a local hero. He's in the papers and stuff like that. So there's always journalists around trying to ask her questions about the whole thing because she's marrying a hero, yada, yada, etc. Um during the kind of like a inner like a scuffle with these uh, really crazy sleazy reporters, both kind of familiar kind of fair uh, faces, British character actors. One's in Harry Potter and a slew of other things, um, the Sweeney Todd by Tim Burton. So um, she gets in a scuffle with these two, and this American woman helps her. Um, another actress, I can't think of her name, uh, Catherine. She's in a, she's in a slew of stuff too. Ends up helping her. They become fast friends, and they re she realizes that this woman's actually here for a reason. She's here to kind of look around the house that she lives at because she uh, knows that at one point she lived in this house with her father, and or at one point she doesn't remember anything except that her parents that she knows now weren't her real parents, and they told her that she lived here. So she's trying to figure out some things. So right when these two kind of get together, that all these crazy dreams start to happen almost uh, immediately and the reality starts to bend into like uh, it's one of these deals where you can't tell what's reality and what's fiction and and what's happening and they wake up three or three or four times in one dream sequence and there's no one a freaking dream but what I love about it besides some of the crazy things they do with the house they turn this big house into like this monstrous mansion of weirdness and twists and turns and the basement's really elaborate and creepy but these two news reporters who you think are just going to be brief little small roles in the movie end up being like huge players in the film they somehow get taken in by the house and sucked into the dreams and they become like this mutated monsters and and throughout the movie they become more grotesque especially the heavier guy he has like these pimples and they have scenes of him just eating gross stuff and and just insane things and um of course this ties back into her child uh, the girl's childhood and these weird visions they're getting but regardless it's gory it's full of wild and over-the-top special effects, which I loved, and cool, giant, elaborate sets. It's better than a lot of, you know, I'd say it's better than Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, Part 6, part maybe even Part 7 for me. Um, so, you know, it's got a lot of cool things going on uh, that I really enjoyed. The Blu-ray looks great. It sounds great. There's two versions of the movie on here. You can watch the director's cut where he cut off a little bit of the theatrical ending because he felt it fit better, even though the little stinger at the end of the um, theatrical is pretty fun and it involves the reporters, and I really like that one. 
I wish it was kind of in there, although maybe he does make a point. It doesn't really fit. So um, on um, the features is ridiculous. I watched all these. I had them play and they, um, in the background when I was doing stuff. You know, basically, I'll, I'll be on the computer and listen to all the commentaries and everything. So there's an interview with the director. There's an interview with the producer. There's interviews with the actress and actress, and there's tons of other people on here too. I, I feel like they got the set designer. I just heard so much about Dream Demon; it was ridiculous. So it's a loaded release of a movie that is kind of a hidden gem. It's super bizarre and super cool, and um, I'm really happy. This is the kind of stuff I love when Arrow releases because um, they gave this movie a lot of love, and I think that it does deserve it. It's kind of a movie that I would I never really paid much attention to because no one gave me reason to, and I, I normally don't, I'm not like that. I'll watch whatever and try to find hidden gems, but this one just, it, it somehow it didn't grab my attention, although it should, because it, it has everything I would want. Um, just crazy monster, dream, surreal stuff. So yeah, highly recommended. Great release from Arrow. Very, very, very cool film. To sleep, perchance to dream, <laughs> but she could never sleep. She was afraid to sleep. Still, the dreams haunted her, terrified her. This was our last known address. They uh, died here. Two young women who share a shattering reality, but quite different nightmares. Who lived here before you? Hello, dog mate. <laughs> I think I'm from here. Just have to give me what I want. One on the brink of marriage. The other, trapped in the deadly shadow of the past. Uh -oh. A dream from which there is no escape. Oh, help me! But if I'm still asleep, and this is a dream, then for God's sake, wake me up! Mm. <gasps> May I have the pleasure? Leave me alone! Diane! There's this little girl here. I, I don't know if she's real or not. I don't know if she's dead or not. Two women. Diana! At the mercy of the demon in their dreams. I'm awake. Dream demon. Okay, the next one is another Arrow video release, and this is John Hughes classic 16 Candles. I'd actually never seen 16 Candles. I I've seen a handful of his movies, but for some reason, as a kid growing up, 16 Candles, I'm like, that sounds like a little girly movie, and you're a little like 10, 12, and this is exactly the time I should have seen it, because watching this, I had a blast with it. Um... It's really freaking funny. It's a great 80s uh, comedy. And it's not like the Revenge of the Nerds sex comedies. It's pretty different. Um, it's John Hughes movie, of course. You know, he did Breakfast Club and Weird Science. And I, I think after watching this one, I think it's my favorite John Hughes movie. So we have Molly Ringwall. You know, this is also like John Hughes' first real movie that he did. So we have Molly Ringwall and uh, her parents basically forget her whole family forgets her 16th birthday because uh, her sister who's kind of like this, um, you know, really pretty girl is getting married to a shalab and, and, and everything's kind of going crazy. Um, Molly Ringwall is a sophomore. She's madly in love with a senior who she doesn't think pays attention to her. Um, and uh, Anthony Michael Hall is madly obsessed with Molly Ringwall and he's a freshman. Um, that's pretty much the plot of the movie. A bunch of hijinks ensue. It's full of eccentric weird characters like um, 
Molly Ringwald's grandparents, who are both sets of grandparents who are in town because of the wedding. They're absolutely hilarious. Um, uh, Grandpa Fred has probably one of the best scenes in the entire movie during the wedding, um, where he just laughs out loud at something inappropriate. I absolutely love that kind of stuff. So that that's a blast. Like I said, there's this weird Asian stereotypical character that's actually with one of the grandparents. He's like a foreign exchange student. Um, yeah, the humor is very dated in this movie. It's very 80s. Um, although it is really inappropriate in a lot of ways, it is a little bit easier to swallow than something like Revenge of the Nerds for some people. But again, like I said, these are products of their time. So you take that in consideration if you have a brain. Although you can just you can be kind of amazed at the stuff that would not fly watching these, so I enjoyed that. Uh, but anyways, uh, there, there's some crazy things in here. Like I said, there's like this big elaborate party, and the scene that just kind of like maybe like actually like scratching my head is when um, Jake, who's like the heartthrob, gives um, Anthony Michael Hall keys his car keys to his father's like super nice car to drive his drunk girlfriend home when they've both been drinking, knowing full well that there's possibly going to be some taking advantage of, which is like, that's just insane. Even at that stand at that time, you're just like, what the, um, uh, yeah, but regardless, anyways, it's just like, there's some, like I said, there's lots of good dialogue, lots of good moments. It's clever. It's witty. It's funny. And, uh, I like the central, uh, lead being a girl because it's, this doesn't turn into a movie where, you know, the main character is just like, we gotta get laid before school's out. And I feel like I've seen a hundred of those eighties comedies like that, to be honest. But, uh, the special features are loaded on this one. Lots of new stuff. Um, besides being, having the director's cut, they have the extended cut for the first time. It's two minutes longer it just adds a couple scenes um I, I watched that you can watch it separate too which i really like because sometimes you'll watch um, the theatrical and you're like what's well, different on extended and you go watch the whole extended and you watch the whole thing twice for two minutes a time i watched the extended cut but it's nice to know what was originally cut out of this um there's an interview on here with uh she's the casting director and that's interesting because she talks about john hughes and the funny thing is all these people have so many nice things to say about john hughes and he's an interesting guy from chicago and the way he casted it the way he shot at Chicago and got like that he gets his like own homebrew stuff going on in there which is really nice they also have an interview with um, the uh, Asian actor and the, his girlfriend or his fling in the movie and they actually interview them together and their back and forth is great and they talk about how it's a little inappropriate and they're like I don't remember any of this stuff and they seem very charming and very nice um, they also interview um, the guy who plays the schlubby um, fiance husband. He's also in Weird Science as well. Very quick interview. And then there's some other things like uh, with the camera operator, which is nice because you got to see how Hughes operated on the set, which I liked. And there's an interview. Um, there's a video essay. There's also, I think there's somebody, a couple other things on here, but the video essay was also very interesting because uh, we have somebody who talks about how this movie's like uh, politics and everything pertain to today. And that, that was interesting to hear and how the character Characters and how Hughes looked at certain things. Very interesting, very informative. And it's also very funny because they include some archival features on here. So you start watching the archival feature from like 2008 and they're like, this is a little inappropriate. But then like come 12 years later, everybody's like, yeah, this is this is pretty dated. Like the Asian guy was like, I knew I felt bad about making the character back then. But still, it's a product of his time. It's very funny. I caught myself laughing out loud a lot and I know some of it's inappropriate, but I, I just don't care. It's a comedy, right? I mean, you laugh because it's... uh 
inappropriate or clever or something like that. But regardless, it is really fun, very easy to watch. And uh, Paul Dooley is great as the father, really sweet moment between him and Molly Ringwald. Molly Ringwald is also fantastic. And there's just lots of strange things you wouldn't see in a modern movie. But, you know, that's kind of why we all love the 80s movies. Either we grew up with them or we have some sort of sentiment towards them. But we, you, you should know what they are, you know, that if they're from the 80s, product of their time. And they have a lot of nostalgia. Even though I didn't see this one growing up, it feels like I should have. And uh, it's kind of a shame. I just need to start watching. Like I said, there's so many good movies I know I haven't seen. And it's embarrassing to say it. But, hey, it's the truth. Great release from Arrow. They did a top-notch job on it. Physically, you're still 15. <sighs> Hopeless. I loathe the bus. Very hot, very hot. This night, this night is happening. Way to go, dickface. She took off. Sammy, tell Grandpa not to wait up. Let's go boogie. Sure. Jake's here. Don't want him to know I eat. What's worse, Sam has an unrequited crush on a senior, Jake Ryan, who she's pretty certain Ginny, the kind of woman the entire 80s lusted after, would have seduced in a heartbeat. You know, that's funny, and that's John, you know? Like, hey, just find something that, that's natural and feels right and do it. This is getting good. 16 candles. Okay, the next one coming up is uh, it's, it's a big boy. It's a heavy hitter. Probably one of the best releases of the year. This is Solid Metal Nightmares, the films of Sheena uh, to Sakamoto. Hopefully I said that right. And I had seen a few of his movies. So, yeah, I'm going to break these up in little separate reviews. I'm going to review half the box set this week, half next week, because that's ten like movies on here. So we'll start off with Tetsuo, the Iron Man, which I had seen before. Um, really great film. Really batshit crazy, um, very heavily influential, especially visually and mixing the flesh with the metal. Um, this is 1989, black and white, shot like it's a racer head or something. Just a just a cult classic, a classic really. So um, this plot is a uh, pretty pretty strange. We have this guy who's a metal fetishist, so he likes to mix his body with metal, kind of like body modification, which is the theme in in Sheena's movies um, that I noticed um, throughout. Um, at least a couple of them. So this character is a, likes to 
you know, do body modification with metal. He ends up getting hit by a car at, at one point when he um, has an infected leg. And uh, we kind of fast forward, or we basically just cut to this businessman who is, uh, you know, on his way to work and everything like that. And on his face, he realizes he has, like, something sticking out. It's like a metal razor. So he pulls it out. It's very strange. Starts to get infected throughout the day. And uh, his, his girlfriend calls and she's saying, um, I just have not felt right since the accident. So you start to get hints at what's going on. It turns out that he starts to turn into this crazy metal man where these metal parts are coming out of him. He's starting to become demented and crazy. Him and his girlfriend have this weird, crazy love thing going on, sex, sexual moment. And that like triggers his dick to turn into this giant spinning metal thing. And what we find out is the metal fetishist that was hit by the car in the very beginning is altering him and controlling him. And he has some sort of mad scientist or a product of some sort of science experiment gone wrong and he's basically magneto low rent magneto and he's controlling all these metals and everything and turning him into a monster so um it gets insane lots of great effects lots of cool things and stop motion basically camera tricks that are wonderful love the cinematography love things like exploding and you see like the dust in the air and black and white reminds me a lot of like a racer head that scene where jack nance is standing there and you you hear the like the spray you see the spray behind it reminds me a lot of that like so the there's lots of that kind of stuff going on that I really like. Um, I just feel like this one is so unique and uh, different and gory and the special effects are, are oh wow like you, you know, stuff like that and the way it's shot too like they'll take a camera and they'll have somebody like coasting or being pulled and there's so many cool intricate camera tricks that I absolutely adore so um, this movie's fantastic if you've never seen Tetsu I've, I saw it for the first time I think last year and it was just one of those ones that I'm like why haven't I not seen this what is wrong with me again I'm not a lot of first time watches in here that I'm like I'm a moron no Tetsuo is not though but still um, fantastic it looks great too sounds great uh, and the soundtracks in this is like just pounding it just gets your adrenaline going and um, usually when you leave a DVD menu on and it goes on and on and on you just want to die because you're so tired of hearing that song I would not agree with that about Tetsuo like you can just leave the Iron Man music and soundtrack playing in the background all day you will not tire of it I love it so um, a high recommend for Tetsuo the Iron Man on this disc there is a commentary with Tom Mez he does commentaries on like all the movies on here so I'm not going to keep saying that but then also there's this really unique special feature that um, compares uh, Tetsuo like um, it goes through the career of the director Tsumato and it also compares him to Takashi Kitano who's another um, director and he talks about these two independents of Japan and how they rose and how they're completely different but yet similar very interesting uh, little thing on there and it goes into elaborate about his other movies and talks about the themes and everything uh, very nice uh, little video essay on the disc um, so yeah that's Tetsuo the Iron Man highly recommended um, you gotta check it out
Okay, the next one is Tetsuo 2 Body Hammer, and I had not seen the second one. Um, <clears throat> I had heard some initial things that some people may be a little disappointed, so I, I really didn't know what to expect, because Tetsuo original ends on such a big note, and a crazy, weird love story and, and sanity, and I love how it ends. It's just like a world domination kind of thing going on in this desolate Japanese landscape. So, um, industrial, desolate Japanese landscape. But so, so the new one opens up and I'm like, oh, it's kind of a shame. Um, I forgot to mention that Tosmato basically plays the star in all his movies, one of the stars. Um, I always keep saying his name wrong, so I know, I know I'm a moron. But regardless, director is pretty much acting in all these movies as a star. So this one, um, it's a completely different story with a lot of the same themes. And it reminds me kind of like one of the Scanner sequels, but just much better um, with special effects and everything and, and creativity. So what we have here is this this uh this guy and him and his um wife are kind of attacked in a subway and um 
and it kind of leads to them coming after his child and everything. You really don't know what the hell's going on, but they, you find out they actually want him for some experiment, it seems. And uh, there's this ringleader weird guy pulling the strings on all these bald guys that are constantly working out, trying to become these super soldiers, and they're trying to create a serum to create the super soldier. So anyways, uh, we learn this guy makes a terrible mistake when something's wrong with him. I think he was injected at one point. He, um, is, he actually kills his son, and he's completely haunted by it. His wife wants to leave him, but he's has all on his mind he has revenge and there is a reveal in this movie that shows you who this character is and how he ties into everything like that and that makes a huge difference so at, at points in this movie you're like what does this all mean why are these connected but by the end you're like okay this makes sense now and, and you're you're in but at first i was a little lost i was a little sad that it didn't fall directly to tetsuo but uh, after after i got on board and I, I realized what the hell was going on i started to enjoy myself uh, quite a bit um yeah, but like I said, this one is in color, which is a huge change. The special effects are great. There's like crazy gore. Um, there's the, lots of fighting. And this is different because instead of like... Um, now, Tetsuo in the original would turn into a weapon in certain ways, like his drilled dick. Um, you like that? <laughs> but uh, I just felt that was kind of strange. And then like uh, this guy has like these guns that pop out of his chest and everything like that. So there's lots of cool shooting and guns and everything and lots of goons that he kills. And a big fight at the end It takes place in a junkyard which reminds me of another movie that I'll be covering this week which is also Asian but that's a Hong Kong one but uh, this one was just a little less uh, enjoyable than the first one it's not as impactful I don't think it's as good but I do think it's solid and I think it's entertaining and I think it's pretty crazy and uh, a fun ride very entertaining that's Tetsuo 2 Body Hammer
何なの僕にも分からないんだ Okay, this next one's going to be a quickie. This is actually、um, The Adventures of Densu, Denshu Kozo, and this was made before、um, Tetsuo. This is like a 45 minute、uh, movie, and、uh, you can tell it's made before. It's a little bit more lighthearted and cutesy、um, than Tetsuo for sure, and it's playful though with his camera and everything like that. So, what we have here is this young guy in high school, and he has like this light, like、uh, it looks like.、Um, Uh, a telephone lamp, or not telephone lamp, but like a street light pole on his back with a light. And, and nobody like seems to, maybe he's a little bit an outsider, but it's not like that big of a deal. Like it seems like people live in this weird world where it's kind of understood or, or a Kind of, you know, accepted, but regardless,、um, it gets really weird. So, bullies pick on him, this girl defends him, and then at one point, he, he's working on a time machine, he says, and、uh, it works suddenly, and he gets jet, jettisoned or shot into the future, like I don't remember, quite some time, and、um, like 15 or 25 years. And it turns out that these space vampires have come down and they're sucking everybody's blood and they have blocked out the sun. And、uh, yeah, basically, it's up to him to bring the, the light, and every, there's one of these every generation that has to stop. The evil, and he has to turn on the light to stop the vampires, and lots of crazy fights and nonsense ensue, and a, kind of a love story blossoms.、Um, very enjoyable, very cute, very fun, some cool stuff, very enjoyable. Like I said, I, I can't speak very much on this one, but、uh, you see kind of his roots, and I appreciate it. I, I really like this one more than some of the others, to believe it or not. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
Okay, the next one is Tokyo Fist. Um, this is a little bit of a different kind of story for him from what I've seen so far. Um, yeah, so this is a crazy love triangle about uh, violence and, and just weird stuff going on again. And, and again, it also feels kind of like Tetsuo Body Hammer where we have these two characters that you don't think are interrelated, but then as it progresses, we learn that they do have a history together. So there's that going on again. So there's like these reveals of who someone's not who they say they are in these movies a lot. So, okay. Tokyo Fist. What we have here is this uh, this uh, businessman, this Japanese businessman. We have a boxer, and then we have his girlfriend, uh, the Japanese businessman's girlfriend. So one day, um, the boxer gets a look at uh, this Japanese businessman's girlfriend, and he starts to kind of invade their life and want to come over and meet her and talk to her. And he starts to weasel his way in, and he starts to try to steal her away. This upsets the businessman. He, he confronts the boxer, gets the crap beat out of him and then he wants to kind of train and he starts to get very aggressive and uh violent while the boxer at points is kind of also uh emotionally not all there and then the girlfriend starts to start uh, with body modification and start to become a sadist and enjoy pain or a masochist so it becomes this weird kind of thing where all three of these people's personalities dramatically change by these events and uh there's a history among them and maybe it's just awoken in all of them but uh there's lots of crazy fights of course lots of weird boxing things i think the acting is really solid in this one i think this one goes to weird places and it's a really kind of twisted screwed up drama um like when people get punched in the ring it's like blood sprays everywhere of course but um i love some of the fights especially between the two guys later on because uh the ones training and becoming this like the, the personality changes is really crazy and the growth and characters but again this one's really good i i would recommend checking this one out uh Completely different for him, but yet you can see a lot of the similarities. But uh, like I said, I like how the characters change and have these arcs, and they're not as they seem. And the ending, how it, it's cut together with like all these three like moments where it's be like showing all the characters and their like their climactic moments or their changes and everything like that. Um, I literally thought it was going to be like a um, they all it was going to have this crazy thing at the very end, but um, it did not disappoint. Very very good movie, interesting, and I think it would uh, get better on a second viewing actually.
Okay, and the last one I'm going to be covering from this box set this week is Bullet Ballet. And um, this was probably my least favorite of the set, but also still interesting nonetheless. We have this guy who is um, mugged by this, this gang, and he becomes obsessed with, uh, fixated on getting revenge. And he wants a gun, of course. Guns are not as easy to get in Japan. So he keeps trying to, like, create these guns in this elaborate kind of way. And it, there's also, like, this history with his girlfriend and uh, some tragedy that has happened, and that kind of provokes it the same time and one of those characters I believe is kind of tied into that if I'm not mistaken if I remember correctly watched a lot of movies this week so I think that's another like I said that theme where there's reveals of course happening but um I find this one interesting the fact is this character the whole time is trying to attack and get revenge on these people but by the end of it he is almost on the side of them and chooses to protect them like in some sort of way but I find that interesting and I find it kind of like uh, poignant in a lot of ways, but how he becomes kind of interrelated or tied in with these characters and, and, and whatnot. Like it's, it's a feeling and emotions and something to say and it's saying it and you understand it, but it's hard to kind of elaborate on necessarily what it is. But um, uh, I felt that that was the most interesting aspect of this one. There's, of course, some crazy fight scenes between gangs and everything like that. But uh, this one just had the, the the least amount going for it for me uh, as far as, like, visual appeal. But, like I said, there's interesting themes and everything, and it gets pretty wild at the end. And the very, very ending is really cool, how two of the characters are running in complete opposite directions with their own problems and head and physical and everything but uh yeah I, i'm i really like this set so far the only knock on it is couldn't they have got haruku the goblin on the set because that one i just think is fantastic and probably my favorite besides tetsuo so i think that with that in there maybe somebody else has got the rights to it but i really like to see a nice release of that one as well because uh, the dvd's long out of print and i do not own it but uh yeah that's one from 1991 uh yeah haruko would be an excellent addition to this set uh so yeah that's my only knock on it um all the commentary, there's all these commentaries on all of them too. So it's, it's a great set. One of the, my favorite releases so far this year. And next week I'll be back with the final, the other five on the disc. Nande. Nande. お前が悪いんだよ。
Okay, the next one here is by Sean Donahue, and this is Die Die Delta Pi. And I actually had watched this some time ago, but it's been a long time. He wanted to send over a, D, a Blu-ray to cover, and I said, why not, you know? <laughs> I like Sean, you know. I, I, I'm always honest with his movies. You know, they're independent movies, and I hate disliking an independent movie, but this slasher I remember liking. Um, this Blu-ray has actually been remastered. Um, it, it's actually a Blu-ray print of it. I think the old Blu-rays were DVD upscales or something like that. So, yeah, this is the best it's ever going to look. <coughs> Sorry about that, from my understanding. And it actually has features this time, a commentary, introduction, and uh, a five-minute meltdown with one of the actresses, which is absolutely hilarious. But the plot of Die, Die, Delta Pi is um, in the 80s, there was a fraternity murder, and yeah, a bunch of people got slaughtered and everything like that. And now it's modern day, and a bunch of people at the sorority want to have this big party and do a lot of the same things over and over again. And of course, the murders start to happen again. Um, the positives, there is uh, plenty of uh, bloodshed, plenty of nudity, and never really gets boring some of the characters are funny and fun especially the twins and and the the quirky girl who takes her shirt off i, I just thought she was kind of fun and and did a pretty good job in the movie um the negative some of the acting's pretty poor um some of the characters do really stupid things like um they do absolutely nonsensical things. Like one of the characters, they are like three people are kind of like confronted by the killer in a room and the killer goes to attack one of them and the other two just run off and leave them instead of all three of them just like attacking the killer or staying together. Like that, that way that's edited, the way that whole scene is, is, is a little rough and it just makes it characters make absolutely no sense with how they act some of the dialogue i find funny other times you're just like okay it's whatever sometimes people like um will give really good scene like um moments like the girl in the insane asylum i feel like her little monologue and everything was pretty solid while some of the other characters like um maybe i don't want to point out individuals but like there'll be one scene where they'll give this big monologue and it feels like they're reading off a card uh, some of the sound ranges like the campfire scene i feel like that's probably the most professionally shot um the second campfire scene with the more Modern girls. I feel like that's shot really well. It gets enough coverage um, for a low budget movie. But then, like some of the other stuff, it feels like um, there's like a little less coverage. Like when the girls are talking in the very beginning of the 80s scene, it feels like none of the characters are actually there and it was kind of patched together, which is, is very common in independent movies. And some of the outside scenes, of course, you know, have the drops and audio quality. You hear cars and you hear like uh, highs and lows and everything like that, which is a little uh, staple of kind of low budget indie cinema. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a little bit different different than a lot of Sean Donahue's movies. It feels like kind of a low-budget slasher movie. It has a lot of characters, a lot of characters to juggle, to be honest. Um, and it just isn't like, um, not that there's anything wrong with like the super sleazy like moments of like 45-minute nudity that a lot of their movies have, because a lot of people really dig that stuff. This one feels more like a straightforward movie for them. Um, for like Sean Donahue and all those guys. Um, yeah, so if this one sounds like it's up your alley, the Blu-ray links will be below. Um, I, I, I'm okay with it. Like, it's an easy watch. It's not something I love, but it's not boring. Like, you put it, you don't put it in and you're not like, oh man, this is so boring, I can't get through this. It's a very easy watch. It, it's quick, there's gore, there's nudity, the special effects, like the throat slits look solid. Some of it's just blood splatter, but that's pretty typical. I think Marcus Cook did some of the effects. He has a cameo in it. It's kind of funny cameo involving some art humor, I guess, some high-class art humor. But, yeah, that's Die, Die, Delta Pi. If you're interested, links will be below. Chill out, everyone. There are more pop jams coming your way. For those of you with spring break fever, the Circle's Bar and Grill is having happy hour all night. Discounted prices for those lucky sorority girls. You know who you are. Now back to the jams. 
This is the way my mother told me. She was a Delta Pi in the late 80s and survived that horrible night by pure luck. The night started with a traditional ceremony, not like the lame one we had. This was the 80s, so they had style back then. Assume your position. <laughs> so what I was told is that the head Delta Pi came up with a great way to humiliate Marissa by spraying her with silly string. Okay, let's whip it out! But it ended up backfiring on her. No! Wait! <laughs> Marissa's accidental death isn't what closed Delta Pi. It's what happened after the incident. Where is everyone? The police found over a dozen Delta Kappas and Delta Pi's dead. That's why the house was closed down. They were afraid someone was stalking the Delta Pi sorority. We are all lambs left for the slaughter. But they never found the killer. And they never found one body. They never should have opened it! Welcome everyone to the grand reopening of the Delta Pi house. Yeah, so that's how the threesome works. Oh. So we're gonna do it. There's a tradition at Delta Pi, and I want to make sure that we keep that tradition alive. What is the Ooh, that's the model. Nice. Oh, now that's how you do it. This is a very rewarding and exciting time in our lives. There's still a few of us alive. We deserve what's coming to us. The burnt one is coming. The burnt one is watching, waiting. Alright guys, we're here to talk about Milos Forman's movie, which is crazy that he directed this. When I saw his name, I was like, huh? 1979 Hair from Olive Signature. Um... Now, Hair was a musical, and I knew the song Hair. Hey, baby, hey, na, 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 na. I knew that song. I'd never seen a musical. I'm obviously not a big musical guy when it comes to that kind of stuff. Like, I'm more into the horror-oriented or cult musicals. And this, I guess, all musicals are cult to a certain extent. When they're made into yeah. a film, I think, yeah. yeah. So, um, this, 79, um, when, do you know when the original musical was playing? I feel like it was probably in the 60s, and I think this, or late 60s, I feel like this is like 10 years too late to make a movie, but it had to gain the projection. Well, okay, so I don't know when the original Hair came out. Yeah. I, I've never been familiar with Hair. Which um, kind of surprised me that you had, because you're a musical person. Yeah, but I, I'm like a, anything pre-80s, I'm like, I don't yeah. want to listen to it. This isn't Lloyd Webber. What is this? This is garbage. Uh, but no, so when musicals are made, despite how popular they are, they still take like 10, 15 years it's to make a traction. Like uh, Rocky Horror? Rocky yeah. Horror. Um, well, actually, Rocky Horror is a... a anomaly because i think those are only a couple of years apart but when you look at something like even like now today like yeah. hamilton's a big popular movie sell out shows every time it tours no movie no or movie. book of mormon you're not yeah you know book of mormon we only got a lame as movie in there's been numerous lame as movies there's been a lot of those though. but the musical adaptation yeah. okay and so that came out so, in the 80s i mean that's how harris the story about um uh kind of a Guy from Oklahoma, simple guy, gets drafted to Vietnam. He's going to go to New York City. He's got a couple days to waste. He gets kind of tied up or becomes friends with this group of hippies um, led by Treat Williams. And I was so shocked to see Treat Williams as a hippie with long hair. Because Treat Williams to me is like um, always kind of a cop or like a crazy guy. Like and things are doing different when you're dead or, or like dead heat. He's just kind of a 
and he picked up for Tom Berenger in the substitute sequels. I just can't see. Um, it was really hard for me at first to watch Treat Williams as a hippie, but he's really good in this. He was fantastic. And John Savage is also fantastic from The Deer Hunter and um, Dora in the Silence, the Fulci movie, which is, <laughs> I shouldn't bring that one up for it was the highlights. But um, also Beverly D'Angelo is in here. And there's some other familiar faces. Richard Bright makes an appearance, who I was happy mm-hmm. to see from Cut and Run. And uh, uh, geez, he's in uh, The Getaway. Um, so yeah, um, had a nice little cast in here. It's again, it's a musical, so it takes some adjusting for me. Yeah. And uh, some of the songs um, are cringy for me, but they're almost that's almost always with musicals. No matter when I first hear a musical, mm-hmm. no matter how good it is, the first few times I hear it, I'm like, it's cringy. And then, like, if you listen to it for six months or it's in the background for six months, you'd be like, yeah, you'd be all singing and dancing <laughs> to it. I don't know what's that about musicals, but like at first you're like, this is terrible, and then like you get used to it. Hair, I obviously liked. Right. I, I think the music in Hair is fantastic. Um, this is like, it's kind of like the in-between of like the classic like 50s, 60s musicals like Grease or Bye Bye Birdie where, well, maybe, well I'm going to remove Grease, but like, like the songs are separate. Like these are more like pop pieces that they just wrote a story around. Like none of the music feels like connected or flows together. It's not like a more modern musical that has like leitmotif or like character themes throughout. Um, there, there is a few so, like songs that kind of like repeat throughout the movie, yeah. but it, it's nothing major, nothing that I would compare to like anything that I'm into per se. All right. So um, it's choreographed really well. There's lots of extras and obviously Milos Forman is a super capable director. He did two masterpieces in Amadeus and One for the Cuckoo's Nest. So it's no um, surprise that the movie is choreographed really well with lots of extras and, and stuff like that. Um, and it's really kind of a, a surprisingly, you figure anything involving Vietnam is going to have a really sad touch to it or bitter touch to it. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that the switch in this at the end is kind of like really um, fitting. Yeah, so, you know. I don't want to spoil the ending. I yeah, guess. yeah, we won't spoil the ending, but there are two, like, I'd say distinct acts. There's the first act that's in New York and then the second act where they're kind of on the road. Um and the first act, I'm like, who are these characters? Like, everybody's kind of kind of a trash people. Well, they seem really bad at points and annoying mm-hmm. at points. But then later on, um, after they become friends and you get to know them, they do have some redeeming qualities. Especially when they come and visit um, Savage at the... Uh military like you like they actually care about them and right. stuff like that but uh, and, and even a bit before like when they're planning the road trip and everything um when the one guy's uh like ex-girlfriend or or whatever when she shows up that song is fantastic there's some beautiful performance pieces like like unrelated to the characters that they kind of like cut to during different the songs. acid scene is pretty crazy the lots of nut scene. stuff going on it's pretty funny too when they crash that rich person party and yeah true williams is arguing with the guy and there's definitely statements about classism here right and um there's a major difference and divide between john savage at first and the hippies because he doesn't really understand them he comes from a different place you know mm-hmm. and oklahoma of course and these guys are from new york and probably california and areas like that and then there's also a huge divide on top of that even when john savage is with the hippies um when all the kind of poor people and in a way the hippies and the small town people like him are one and the same when it comes compared to the rich people they don't care who you are they shouldn't have been there anyways i but right and then even the rich girl gets involved with them and stuff like that yeah um this has like elements of like 
almost like a proto rent yeah. i i would say um when it's in new york um it's like the dredges of society kind of like trying to find their place amongst like the upper class you know and having to deal with their own strifes and their own like ignorance of how the world works it's better than rent maybe not musically but like character wise on everybody's kind of like a garbage person and i never saw listen to rent yeah it's a doesn't sound like something I'd care for. It, it's interesting. I like the music, though. Um, and uh, th- where this ends up ending, at, I'm like, it, it's a tension-filled movie. Like, like where it was going, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, like, it can be lighthearted and funny and gag-filled mm-hmm. and then really tragic at the same time. Right. And um, yeah, and some of the songs are just so poignant. Like, I was tearing up a little bit, just like... And, and even, like, some of the songs that are, like, removed from what's actually happening in the story, like storyline because it, it is parallel to like vietnam and so there's a lot of protest pieces in it and it's like a lot of those you know and i mean this is the thing about musicals they can be lifted and set in different time periods and like a lot of them are like congruent to today and they there's some nice features on here so there was like a big documentary that had all a bunch of the people interviewed including john savage and beverly delangelo and that was mm-hmm. interesting to hear their take on it and how they got involved with the movie and all that kind of stuff and then there was some other stuff like i remember i can't remember exactly everything was on there i know that we watched some of it but i can't pinpoint everything i should have been better prepared to grab the case and look at it yeah cheat a little bit one of um i think one of the ones i was listening to was um I think she might have been a producer. Yeah, yeah. Or like the second unit lead or something. Yeah. I don't know. And she she went into detail about you know how they had this time to shoot and like how, how they were able to get everything together. And I did hear some of the interviews with the cast, like like the one guy with the long hair. He actually sings the hair song. Yeah, yeah. It's like his song, and he, was he wasn't like, even an actor. He wasn't even an actor. Like he, he was like, or like, hey, you got long hair. You want to be in this movie? He's like. Okay. <laughs> no, the, the casting parts are really funny and the making of. They were talking about how they got casted and they were hearing these professional singers and dancers mm-hmm. and they're like, we, we gotta go. We're not gonna, we're right. not gonna get this ga- gig. And then they went in and they gave it to them and they're like, what? They kept getting callbacks. So I think they were going for a more naturalistic. Mm-hmm. Although the funny part when there's like that jail scene and all the extras in the jail scene are like, 15 year old like prepubescent boys dancing right. with long hair. It's like, I don't think that's how a jail looks. I mean, you know, and that that's the thing with musicals, and I think it does throw a lot of people off, is, you know, they are made for the stage, and, you know, they are me- meant to be spectacle. Like, you could say the same thing in, like, watching Evita, um, when, with all the people in the army. It's very similar. Yeah. There's, it's a bit more synchronized, I think, in, like, Evita, um, which we also talked about. But the thing about musicals is, you know, the, like, when they're singing, like it's they're not singing in real life like they're not yeah like like the the thing about a musical is like you speak until you can no longer speak and when you can no longer speak you sing and when you can no longer sing you dance and that's how like it's it's like an expression of emotion it's not so much a literal interpretation of what's happening you know you have to take those things with a grain of salt i mean if that's what dancers look like that's what dancers look like. They're not going to get Nicholas Wirth to pop up in hair. They he probably did. could. No, he was in moon moonlighting. <laughs> he was. He in was moonlighting, and I bought a whole season just to watch Nicholas Wirth dance with Bruce Willis. So it's Fat Bruce Willis dancing with real Bruce Willis in a musical number, and it was Nicholas Wirth. Isn't that insane? And wouldn't you say that Nicholas Wirth is technically like moonlighting as? What's that guy's name? Bruce Willis? Yeah, how do you not know who Bruce Willis is, but you know who Nicholas Worth is? This is what's wrong because with you. Because this is... This is, this is life. Curse. Yeah, <laughs> it is. No, what but is. also Blade from Master Universe is in that scene dancing. <laughs> it's so weird, isn't it? You um, can, I know who like Giovanni Radici is 
But if you put like Leonardo DiCaprio and like Ben and Ben Affleck together, I <laughs> yeah. wouldn't tell the difference. They look nothing alike. Yeah, I know. that's ridiculous. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Anyways, hair. Um, I, 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 like I said, first time watch for me, I know some of the music, didn't know some of it. I think it would have helped if mm-hmm. I knew more of it. So I give it a recommend, but I don't love it. And, uh, I, after a while getting used to it, I'm sure I would enjoy it more. So, right. I think that, you know, I haven't listened to it again since we watched it. I think I prefer the soundtrack over watching the actual movie. Um, I really like the music and the songs in it. I'd give those probably a five. Um, and the movie, it really did warm up to me. It was really long. Musicals are really long in general. That's why I have intermissions. Um, but I would probably give the movie a four, easily. I'm only at like a three. A three? But, I mean, like I said, I was like, the first time I saw Rocky Horror, I was like a three when I was like 19. And now I'm like a, uh, like a, like a nine and a half, ten. It's perfect. You know what I mean? I don't know how you were so old when you watched Rocky Horror. I don't know. Like, not <laughs> nine and a half. Like, personally, like objectively rocky Horror's a 10 like subjectively it's like an eight so i give it a nine you know what i mean like i come in line nine and a half somewhere around there see i i like rocky horror i much prefer shock treatment me too but i don't think shock treatment's probably objectively a better movie rocky now. horror is a far more important movie but shock treatment's more interesting and and i think to me more beloved i, yeah, I just I, I like it better too but Charles gray has like, a bigger part that's what it is <laughs> like i'm just saying like the first time you hear a musical, you don't fall in love with right. it until you know the songs and you can sing along with it. Then you start to appreciate it. The same thing with even Cannibal the Musical or Poultry Guys. Like, oh, yeah. You like them better after you know the songs. The first time I watched Cannibal the Musical, I was like, this is stupid as hell. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, this is so dumb. I was like, slightly funny. But then after that, like, just the more and more you think about it, the funnier and funnier it gets. So, well, um, yeah. And, and, you know, and like when I get into, because I, I do like musicals. I listen to them a lot. I like to see them if they're in town. Um like, I listen to a musical I might have an interest in, and I listen to it, I'm like, eh, I didn't really pay attention, and like, three months later, I go back, and I just listen to it again, I'm like, oh, I really, I'm really into this. One of my favorite ones uh, currently is uh, Natasha Pierre and the Great Count of 1812, and it took me like months to get into that one. That happens. That, that's how it is, yeah. So, um, you know, you should give musicals a shot, and, you know, what if you're... You know, maybe not catch it on stage because you want to spend $90, but listen to the soundtrack and, you know, because it's only going to be like a quarter of like the length time and listen to it once, give it a week, listen to it again and like, okay. Yeah, really you always like give this. a musical a second chance because yeah. you never know. Always, always. But uh, I'm good, you? I'm good. Well, boy. Don't worry too much. That's... It's just these smart people that's got to worry. The Lord's going to take care of the ignorant. Huh? <laughs> you paying attention? Okay. Right. Hey. Hello. Yeah. Any person who alters, forges, knowingly destroys, knowingly mutilates, or in any manner changes this certificate, may be fined not to exceed $10,000, or imprisoned for not more than five years, or both.
and understanding, sympathy and trust abounding. No more falsehoods or derisions, golden and living dreams of visions, mystic crystal revelation, and the mind's true liberation. Uptight about having your hair cut? in the breeze and get caught in the trees give a home to the fleas in my hair a home for fleas a hive for the buzzing bees and as for birds there ain't no words for the beauty the splendor the wonder of my hair blow it show it long as god can blow it my Okay guys, we're gonna start the run through 91 with Robo Tricks. And where has this been my whole life? Yeah, this is a Cat 3 movie from Hong Kong. Excellent, crazy, batshit movie. Uh, 91, obviously. So, uh, yeah, this movie is really weird, but completely insane. So we live in a world with robots. In the opening of this movie, this prince, he's like sleezing it up with all these women, and he has all these police bodyguards, and uh, this guy breaks in. Uh, kidnaps a prince, kills this uh, female cop, and um, basically sends a ransom note saying, um, if you don't work with me to help create these robots and technology to like the, the prince's dad, who's like this rich Middle Eastern guy, um, I'm going to kill your son. So in this world, there's a bunch of robots and everything like that. It actually has this elaborate scene where they're showing all these cool different models from different country robots, and they start fighting, and it's elaborate and everything like that. So this is the world we live in. So basically, they bring back 
that female cop and, and put her memory into like a new model. And she's trying to hide the fact that she's this robot cop. She's also getting help by uh, from help from another robot and like this other doctor lady. So we have these three um, like women who are like uh, hanging out with the cops and helping all the cops. One's being a cop, of course, and they're trying to stop this mad doctor who put himself into a robot. This mad doctor is basically running around um, raping um, prostitutes and other people in these really ridiculously long, uh, really graphic scenes. Um, yeah, they're like there's a scene where he rapes this prostitute and he's going on forever because he's a robot. Um, but he's in this body and he's just going to town and, uh, she starts to fight him at one point and he picks her up, um, holds her against the wall, chokes her to death while screwing her and then chucks her over his shoulder out the window and she lands on a car. And I just, I was like, I can't believe I just seen that. And at first, during like the fighting and all this, like the softcore nudity, I was like, this is a cat three, you know. And then I saw that and I was like, oh boy. Yeah, now I see why it is cat three. So um, a lot a lot of stuff that happens is just crazy action moments with like robots fighting and people getting shot. And, and there's this like character comic relief and this really goofy moment with these prostitute scene where one of the robots hides undercover as a prostitute to try to catch the guy because he's going after prostitutes. But, um, I know it's super sleazy. I know it's highly inappropriate. I know it's trashy. I know it's trashy. But it's so bonkers and crazy and weird and a RoboCop ripoff with, like, insanity. I love it. I just enjoyed the hell out of it. It's never dull. The action's good. The fighting's cool. The shootouts are there. The explosions. Just really dug this, man. Really dug the hell out of it. Highly recommended. Really good 91 movie. Um, and there's a Blu-ray, like a Chinese Blu-ray floating around. So I'll have to get that when I can.
仲会坐喺呢一度啊？因为你而家已经系一个机械人，女机械人。你唔会明白噶啦，除非你都拥有人类嘅思想啦。如果有机会咧，我一定要试下人类做我嘅知你系点嘅。发达咯，正啊！啊！Okay, the next run through ninety one is the haunted. This is a TV movie. This is based on the true story. I can't remember what the story was called, but、um, the Warrens were involved with it, and I had heard the story before. This stars Sally Kirkland and Jeffrey Demun as a super likable family, a、uh, parents, a, a couple, and they have four kids, and their grandparents live with them, their parents live with them. So it's like this big family unit.、Uh, Kirkman and Demun are super likable. The entire family is very likable. So, anyways, it's narrated a lot by、uh, Sally Kirkman I, and.、Um, This is her character or whatever in the very beginning, and we we cut through. It jumps around in time, starts in like seventy five. They move into the house. Nothing's really wrong.、Um, a couple weird occurrences, and then in nineteen they renovate this house, and then in nineteen eighty five these hauntings start to happen, where Sally Kirk Kirkland is starting to be driven crazy and everything like that. And I was like, oh, we're we gonna do that stupid thing where nobody believes the the housewife and everybody thinks she's crazy. And at first we're going in that route, but then eventually.、Um, Uh, Jeffrey Demun starts to see it. The grandmother starts to see it, and everybody starts to see it. And at that point, I was really kind of connected with the storyline because、um, I really didn't want to see Jeffrey Demun and his wife、um, uh, on the outs the whole time.、Um, I really like how they interact. They're very down to earth and very likable, and that helps a lot. This movie also has really out of right、uh, left field, I guess, or whatever field, just extreme.、Uh, this rape scene where Jeffrey Demun is raped by this demon. Um, woman, and she's like changing faces and shapes and everything like that. I'm、um, really dark for a TV movie, actually. But、um, of course,、uh, the Warrens come in, and、uh, I, I know that a lot of people think the Warrens are bullshit, and they obviously made more movies later on. I don't know.、Uh, <laughs> I don't really buy any of this kind of stuff. But、um, I would like to believe that these people were telling the truth because they seem genuinely nice in the movie. I'm sure it's all different throughout. You know what I like about '90s movies? Though I'll say this.、Um, I don't think they. It, it's such a product of the time. Like when you're watching a movie like this, we have these characters that are fairly religious. They're good natured. They're nice. They're members of all these different clubs and churches, and everybody kind of jokes around and says like jokes, and nobody's just like, 
a religious fanatic within it. I like seeing that because um, they'll let, he's let his 16-year-old daughter date without being super hung up. Like, it feels like a normal kind of family in that way. They celebrate Halloween, and they can also be religious because, you know, like, there's so many fanatical people in today, and there always was. It's just that they really weren't portrayed in films as many. I just feel like the 90s had a lot of, like, uh, go to church on Sunday and nobody would even bring up that Halloween is evil or anything like that. You know, it's very, like, traditional. I don't know. It just feels very 90s for me, you know. Remember that episode of King of the Hill where Hank Hill, uh, you know, obviously a conservative guy defends Halloween, and I always loved that episode because uh, I think it's weird when people won't let their kids celebrate Halloween. I'm sorry. I think it's weird. I think you're crazy. Um, I said it. I said it. I'm sorry. I couldn't help it. But um, <laughs> anyways, I, I like this one. It's way better than any TV movie has any right to be. And it's literally because of likable cast and characters. Um, yeah, so anyways, they keep trying all these things to try to help the church. Won't help them. Um, they get the Warrens to help them. And then when they eventually go to the media, things kind of blow up and it makes their life a living hell. But um, really solid. A couple of creepy moments like the whispering um, pillow at, well, and that part of the bed is good. But um, I liked it it's enjoyable very easy watch um something i wish i would have saw on television when i was a kid but i, I really liked it that's called the the haunted jack what did you hear that hear what voices will you just cut this out you're talking yourself into it here, just put your head on my pillow, please, right now. Come on. I don't hear anything. Keep listening. You heard it? What is that? I thought I heard something. Sleep over on my side tonight. Okay, the next run through 91 is Servants of Twilight. And this is a Dean, based off a of Dean Koontz novel. This is a Lionsgate DVD. I, I had never watched this one. Uh, this is a first time watch. And uh, this stars, you know what? They're all very vaguely familiar actors, but I really don't know any of them by name except Lurch and Grace Zabinski. Uh, Grace Zabinski is in a bunch of stuff. She's in some Lynch. She's in The Passion of Noonly, uh, Dark, Dark Noonly, Noonly Dark or something like Noon Darkly. Yeah, that is it. She's a bunch of stuff. Uh, Galaxy Terror. And of course, Lurch, Carl Strucken or something is in Dr. Sleep and Adam's Family, etc. The Prey. So uh, this is a pretty crazy movie. So we have this uh, kind of a single mother, her, her and a young kid. 
and uh, they're basically one day. It's also told in like a kind of a story where it goes to a flashback where this guy shows up and he seems crazy and he starts telling the story to somebody, and then then we get the story. So that's basically how it unfolds. So it's got these little you know front bookends on there of this guy, um, which is a character throughout the story. But okay, so this this woman's in a parking lot, and Grace Serbinski, um goes up to her and her kid and says, basically just starts going religious crazy on her, saying your your son is the devil, he's the antichrist, and he needs to be killed and put down. So she thinks this lady is just a one-time occurrence, she's crazy, they go home, and that night, um, the, the kid claims that um, somebody's looking through him in the window, their dog ends up poisoned, and um, basically they call some private eyes and investigators to help them out with the situation. Things escalate in this whole church. Uh, they call them the church of twilight. Um, basically comes after this boy and it's up to this private eye and some friends of his to try to protect them throughout the movie. It feels a lot like an action movie. People run up and they'll have shootouts or fight scenes and jump from moment to moment. And it all ends at this crazy reveal, um, which I don't really want to spoil because it leaves some, uh, some, some stuff up in the air and it turns into a more popular, movie of course that we all know uh but yeah i uh it's it's fairly enjoyable although it's cheesy and it seems like it's been um adr'd a lot of places um i know the narration of course adr'd but a lot of the other stuff is as uh adr'd i believe there's narration in this one it sure feels like there is or the dialogue all feels like narration but uh very adr'd at points i i like i said maybe it's not maybe it's really not but it feels very 90s like i said the action's solid and uh great serbrinsky's good um the, the wife's good. The kid's really creepy, and I feel like I've seen him in some other things. But this is a solid one from 91. I'm glad I watched it. Uh, and I, don't, I can't think. What's the other Dean Koontz movie I've seen? Um, I know there's Mr. Murder, but there's also Phantoms, of course, which I haven't watched in years. But um, I, I'd say to say this one's probably better than Phantoms. Also available from Vidmark Entertainment. Dinar Koontz has taken you into a nightmare world of terror in his best-selling novels. His spellbinding vision comes to the screen in the chilling shocker, Servants of Twilight. Hello? Joey Scavella? Grandma? I told you, you couldn't hide from me. I can see you wherever you go. I'm going to bring judgment down on you and cut your vile little heart out. Oh, God, Joey! The witch cut Brandy's head off. Who are you? Why are you doing this? We got her on the phone. It's all right, Joey. I'm not going to let anything happen to either of us. I want to know what you can do to stop this woman. Until we know what we're dealing with, I think Joey should have two armed bodyguards around the clock. They believe that these evil forces will be gathered together by a leader. Shoot her! Lurking in the darkest corners of the mind is their diabolical evil. They won't stop. Not till he's dead. I've been trying to find you that link. Somebody in your organization. We're in Tahoe. We're at the very end of Owens County Road in a cabin. Call the sheriff, get help now. No, 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 get away! I want the boy. Oh. 
I do this for the sake of eternity. No! Beyond Madness, Beyond Evil is the horrific world of the Servants of Twilight. Alright, I'm looking scrubby because I haven't showered yet, but uh, Jeremy's got shit to do. It is 4th of July when we're recording this, so... Yeah, I'm cooking dinner or All something. Right. I don't know. Whatever you're doing. You're leaving. Yeah. Yeah, Alright, we're here to cover Jeremy's pick, and it is The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Obvious, classic, silent film. Um, the funny thing is, neither of us have seen this. Which is horrible, right? Cause it's not horrible. I think it is. I knew I was going to watch it at some point in my life, assuming I didn't bite it. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it was always one of those movies that was a, a necessity, but I always put it off. I don't know why. Right. So, uh, yeah, this is not directed by Fritz Lang, although he did have something to do with the script. Oh, he did? Yeah, so that's oh, okay. pretty cool. What is this? What year is this? Twenty. Yeah, we're screwed. I'm gonna cheat because I screwed up and I don't. I didn't have the year memorized. Nineteen nineteen. Some people listed as nineteen twenty. I thought it was about a hundred years old. That's insane. Wow. Yeah. So we watched it on like pretty much the hundred year anniversary. I thought it was nineteen twenty, not nineteen nineteen. But uh, yeah, do you want to get into the story on this one, or do you want me to take it? Um. So there's a carnival in town. The man brings a sleepwalker. In they call him town. a what? A sumbololististic? Sumnatalist? I, I, I don't know. know the I word, don't know the term. But it means sleepwalker. I had to look that up. Um, and there's a rash of murders throughout the town and we try to find out who's doing it. And then there's a twist. Of course. Everybody knows the twist. I knew the twist. You didn't. I, I did not how. know the twist. Um, people complain about the twist in modern films, but it's mm-hmm. but because of this movie. Because everybody knows the twist. Um, I'm going to talk about the twist later on. We'll, we'll give it up. So we're okay. Yeah, All later right, on. Cool. But uh, yeah, obviously this movie has been heavy, heavily inspirational. Like, I would say mostly the look. The look mm-hmm. for sure. Um, the acting is what it is. It's expressionalism. So everybody has to overact and do the, because they have to get it across. It's like being mm-hmm. on a stage, a uh, stage play times 10. So right. that, that makes perfect sense for this kind of movie. Um, the character, the main character, I guess, who's the main character in this? I, I guess the main character to me is the, uh, sleepwalker. Caesar? No, he's not Caesar. I like Caesar the most. He's the most memorable. I'll say. I think I like Dr. Caligari the most. But I would technically say that the main character is named Franz or Fran Frank. We should restart. No, we shouldn't restart. The cat's driving me crazy. It's just the cat. Okay, if you guys hear the cat, uh, she's keep me out. But um, my favorite character is Caesar. I I like his look, obviously, inspired Edward Scissorhands. We'd say Mm -hmm. Dr. Caligari inspired um, Um, the Penguin. The Penguin, Danny DeVito. Tim Burton based his whole career off this movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All the the crazy set designs and stuff. Just like... Beetlejuice is like a more elaborate that. Yeah, Beetlejuice is, Edward Scissorhands is, yeah. Batman Returns is. No, I would say Beetlejuice the most, especially like when they're going down the hallway and the guy comes in and he talks about the exercise people and he says, it's all in the handbook. Like that scene, he closes the, the blinds. Mm-hmm. That thing right there reminds me kind of like of a lot of the sets here. And all the sets here are like super handmade, you can tell. Right. But that's what gives it its charm, if you ask me. And I think a lot of it um, gets carried over in stuff like Nightmare Before Christmas yeah. too. Um, just the handmadeness and the asymmetry of everything. Um, I actually I do enjoy the film it was one that you had to watch like you know what I mean it's just like a checklist that you have to see it Um, it has a lot of memorable like scenes and and looks to it like uh, Caesar you always know who Caesar is just like he's one of the big horror icons (laughs) actually I would have called him Dr. Caligari I wouldn't even know yeah I didn't know I I, because I I knew what Caesar looked like and I just assumed that was Dr. Caligari. Yeah, yeah, just from um, hearing about it for years. Yeah, I so I went into this completely blind. I didn't know the twist. I didn't know the premise. I just knew that it was going to look really pretty. 
And that is going to be a silent film, and that's all I really had to go off of. I actually thought it was Fritz Lang at one point. Yeah, well, um, I, we, you said the one person in there seemed like they were was the woman. Was the, the woman in uh, M or so Metropolis? I, I mean, yeah, in Metropolis, I had to look it up, and she's not. But the, their makeup is very uh, similar. Well, that makes sense. I imagine a lot of the makeup in these kind of movies has always been similar. Right. Um, what did you think of the soundtrack? Um. So this is a, a funny thing about like silent films is one I really liked the soundtrack in this movie and this recording. Um, there's a lot of like sound effects that they put into the soundtrack, like when they're reading a, a handwritten letter. There's like a scratching instrument. Um, you know, they they use it to like synchronize up some actions. I always wanted to see silent films like dubbed over, yeah. like by like a professional cast or something. I think that'd yeah. be really cool. Um, when silent films like traveled, a lot of times they were accompanied with like a phonograph, or even um, most of the time it was actually like a live orchestra. Or I live... can't concentrate. I'm not going to lie. But so we're going to yeah. wrap this up quicker than we should because yeah. the cat is driving me absolutely <laughs> crazy. But um, like I said, I don't really have much to say about this one. I, I was waiting for the twist to come, and it went on so long that it didn't come. I was like, is it actually going to be in there? But I mean, obviously, this movie inspired so many things from Tim Burton to like gothic horror for sure. Um, mm -hmm. The shadows, the lighting, all that kind of stuff. The 4K restoration by Kino looks spectacular. Mm -hmm. I mean, for what it is. And you notice how we how the camera was framed, like yeah. how they did a lot of that. You could tell, like you said, I wonder if they didn't build the complete set because it looks like a bird's eye view. It looks like point of view shots yeah, too. Yeah, the camera's framed. There's a lot of peephole views. Um, it's it's a very still camera. The camera does not move. There's no panning shots. Um, the you know, there's a lot of things from this movie that I think inspire other things. I mean, you have you have a serial killer. Yeah. Um, you have the kidnapping of a sleeping maiden and carried across the rooftops. Yeah. I mean, that's in King Kong and every other Hammer yeah, movie and Hunchback we watch. Too, right? Hunchback. Uh, even in the Curse of the Werewolf. Metropolis is it? Doesn't um, the Beetlejuice-looking guy steal a girl? And there's always people scurrying about the rooftops. That would definitely probably tie back all originally to Hunchback of Notre Dame, the novel. Well, Isn't I mean, he running away on the the rooftops in there. Yeah, but I mean, I think that that itself is. I mean, if we're looking at like an actual narrative, Literature, think, yeah. yeah, I think that just is just how things happen. But when you look at a film thing, I think that this also is the where dream it's sequences, at. waking up and the reality, all the characters within the dream with the reality, Wizard of Oz, obviously right, use that. Um, but uh, I, it's a classic. I mean, mm -hmm. what what do you rate a classic? It's pretty hard to do for me. I mean. I guess we'll read the books and get into our ratings after. Yeah. I'll be reading from John Stanley's Creature Features. And okay, um, did you know there was this remade in 1962? And Robert Block, who wrote Psycho, scripted it. Really? That's insane to me. Hmm. Yeah, they did not seem to like it. But uh, Dan O'Hearley is in it. Okay, so Cabinet of Dr. Calgary, 1919, 4 out of 5, silent German, classic and expressionalism, and attempt to explore psychological horror. It's a nightmare told by an asylum inmate depicting a carnival hypnotist, his um, cybernoblistic zombie, murders, etc. Contemporary audience may find this cumbersome with outmoded acting, but it remains a hallmark in experimentation. Robert Wine directed the script by Fritz Lang and Carl Miner, Werner Claus, Conrad Veid, Lil uh, Dangover. Kino, Sinister, Slash, yep, okay. Okay, so it is Fritz Lang. You did the script? Yeah. Okay. Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, 1919. He gives this four... That's James O'Neill. Terror. Yeah, Terror on Tape. tape. Um, four out of four stars, yep. I believe. So, generally regarded as the original horror film, this highly influential psychological chiller tells the sideshow of magician Dr. Caligari who exhibits a zombie-like sleepwalker whom he also uses as a hypnotized weapon for murder. 
In the end, though, everything turns out to be the ravings of an asylum inmate. With its stylized painted flat sets and exaggerated makeup and acting technique, Caligari single-handedly established the expressionistic school of German filmmaking and created many standard horror plot devices. The Mad Doctor, the Zombie, the abducted heroine carried off over the rooftops, <laughs> the shock twist ending still in use, remade in 1962 as The Cabinet of Caligari. Okay. I was wondering, like... You know, if this movie was ever remade, actually, when... Well, there's the weird movie called Dr. Caligari, which is like a weird... It's just a porn version? It's not or... a porn, but it's made by porn people. It's really Got weird. It. I don't know if I've ever seen the whole thing. I have a laser disc and, like, a bootleg DVD they made themselves and etc. Weird movie. I would like to see it remade. Like like a nice remake. But, but we're talking about remakes in general. It's like... I would I would get a classic director to do it. Like, oh, somebody oh, who grew up watching it and appreciated it. Like, I think somebody would be interesting and Martin Scorsese if he did it. Somebody like that. You know what I mean? Because, you know, they would take a new take to it. Yeah. I mean, I think if he gave it to Burton, it would just be... Mm. It would be terrible. Know, his remakes be. are terrible. They, they really Like, his are. original stuff, like... I mean, Batman's not original, but yeah. I love Batman, Beetlejuice. Well, Mars Attacks is fine. Mars Attacks. Uh, Edward Scissorhands. Night Before Christmas, not directed, but good. But his stuff like his remakes, like Planet of the Apes and um, Alice in Wonderland, it just don't interest me. There, there's a, a line with Burton, and I think it, it's literally like pre-Mars, like Mars Attacks and before, like they're fantastic. Anything after. Some people like, like Big Fish, though. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a few decent ones in there. Big Fish. Um, I, Sleepy Hollow's okay. Yeah. But. So uh, next week is M by Fritz Lang. That's my pick. I never had seen it. So, uh, yeah, um, I don't really have anything else to say except our ratings, which right. I, I, it's hard to rate, like I said, for this one. It, it, honestly, it took a little bit getting used to. I've seen a handful of silent movies like The Phantom Carriage and Nosferatu and stuff like that. Um, I'm going to go 8 out of 10 for the first time, or 8.5. Let's do 8.5. Yeah, I mean, the problem with silent films, and this is why I'd like to see them just kind of dubbed over, is... I never know when the dialogue cards pop up if they are the dialogue for the scene that just happened before the dialogue or after the dialogue. And so I end up getting kind of lost when I'm trying to read it and put together the story. Um, but really, this one, I'd probably give it like a three and a half. I know it's like an important film and it's a very pretty film. But it's not a very deeper, complex film. Like I don't necessarily feel rewarded. Well, watching I, it. I mean, you watch it and it's been ripped off so many times. You're like, oh. right. So that's that's a problem with a lot of these. Like if you were to watch like an old anthology film from Amicus and then re and then like watch Tales from the Hood or Tales from the Dark Side of Creep Show, you mm -hmm. wouldn't have the appreciation for the Amicus movie as you would. And exactly. That, and then it goes back to like this, probably five or six fold because it's been ripped right. off for generations now. But um, I, I think it's a it's a classic, obviously. Like, yeah. if anybody tells you it sucks, I mean, they just like... Like, honestly, I don't even think that we can grasp how good it is and stuff like that for the time. We right, can't, no, we can't, exactly, so. yeah. yeah. I mean, we are so far removed yeah. from it. Um, Which you know, is unfortunate. Right, it's it's different than something like Dr. X. Um, I mean, it is a good film, and you probably should watch it. You I'm have sure to see it. everybody's watching this has seen it, and we're like, what yeah. are these losers doing? I know, um, it's, just, it's called Blind Spot for a reason. <laughs> right, but, um, so it is worth the watch, and it's not a very long movie, and it's no. a very pretty movie. Um, yeah. It just, it did have a, I had a hard time keeping its yeah. attention. I'm somebody who loves Metropolis and the Nibelung, and those are like four-hour epics, yeah, so. so. Um, yeah, I guess next week is M. I'm done. Done.
Okay, let's get into these questions. Nick Mua. Why do movies inspired by video games tend to suck? Silent Hill being the exception, of course. Ah, I think, honestly, because uh, directors or producers or uh, companies are like, we got to make this appeal, you know, and they change things and they make it not the video game when people just want the video game. Kind of like the X-Men movie, the first X-Men movie. It's like, uh, Brian Singer's like, I want to do my own thing. And people like, we don't really want to see your thing, okay? We want to see the X-Men. So just the comic book, it's already written. Just take that and put it on the screen. That's all you got to do. The story's written. Just follow that. That's all you got to do. Like, yeah, but it won't work. And today says, we don't care. We never got to see the X-Men done in a film form. Just do that. It's the same thing with like Resident Evil. Just do that. No, you want to change it? You want to make it like Matrix? That's they just. I think honestly, it's because producers and companies and directors want to make it their own thing, and nobody really wants their thing. They want the game, so they're always disappointed. Um, through the country that caught me off guard, home video wise. What is going on here? Okay, sorry, I read the wrong thing. Acting is all about looks. It's often said. Still, some actors with unconventional features were able to build great careers. Name some of your favorite unconventional looking actors. For me, it's Ron Perlman. Such as interesting, evocative face. I can watch the man in anything. I love character actors. So honestly, I'll go. Nicholas Worth is one. The bald head and everything. Um, then you got. Jeez. Uh, all character actors are fantastic. You shouldn't ask me that because all my favorite actors are character actors. Warren Oates looks unique. Um, Steve Buscemi, people would say he's definitely got a unique look about him, and I would agree. And I feel it's easier for a male to have a very unique look about them. But sometimes people like Emily Watson, uh, big, big, uh, expressive eyes, or something like that, will kind of pull you in. Um, Susan Tyrell, I think, looks unique enough. Grace Sabinski, we just talked about her. So I'm just going to name people that I think with unique looks that I enjoy. And it's hard to judge unique looks because, like I said, 90% of character actors are there. Andrew Divoff is another one that I would say is unconventional and how he looks. Uh, very good, though. Um, solid, at least. Um, so, yeah, like there's I, the list is on and on and on and on. Uh, Ernest Borgnine, Strother Martin, anybody from any of those old Western movies um, have a unique look about them that uh, pulls you in. I'm thinking even horror actors, of course. Um, geez, uh, Michael Berryman. So yeah, there's there's tons of people out there. So that, that's kind of my bread and butter is character actors and my favorite things. So yeah. And then we have horror uh, fan for forever. I'm yet to see a reversible. Looks pretty brutal though. Have you seen any of Mary and Dora's films? They aren't talked about enough when it comes to disturbing movies, I feel. I have seen A Voyage to Agathis and it's pretty crazy. I want to watch... Uh, um, what is it? The Melaconda del Angel. I have the DVD. I just never had the guts to put it in finally. And I bought his new one that came out from uh, Diabolic. Had a copies of it. Car Carcinoma or something like that. And they're going to put out the Angels one too soon. So I'll probably buy that. I'll watch it for the first time then. But uh, yeah, I'll get into his movies eventually. And then we have answers. Basically, I ask what your favorite um, overseas release for you for you was that doesn't have a release in your country. Nick Mua, as we tend to get a lot of barebone discs here in rainy Belgium, I tend to buy my home media overseas on a regular basis. The UK releases usually have some of the bonus content as their US counterparts, so the country that caught me off guard home media-wise is Germany. Some of the releases that are stunning, you probably saw Mr. Cronenberg's The Dead Zone. Well, if you don't own it already, I recommend Koch's release of said film. It comes in the media book with Blu-ray and DVD plus tons of extras. Also, be Beyond Media German Austria has a top-notch release of Super Dark Times, which you recommended, I believe. They also have a lot of Scott Shermer's films, What's Not to Love.
Very cool. Brandon Young, my current favorite is Anna and the Apocalypse, released from Second Sight. It's probably just because it was a favorite of the previous year, and it's a nice release. That's a very cute movie, and um, I think it's it's very entertaining. Um, Emil Levin, Blue Underground's release of Maniac, I Live in Sweden. Kaiser Sosa, while it plays in the U.S., I have to say indicated release of Curse of the Demon. Chris Leppard, my all-time my all-time favorite is the guinea pig out of print set that came with a poster and t-shirt, but this BFI Werner Herzog collection is freaking amazing and was legit cheap. I have that set. And it was a good price. I remember buying it for like 60, 70 bucks. And I had like eight, ten movies on there. Robert D., for me, it would be the Grindhouse release of Cannibal Holocaust. Love that set of a movie that's never going to get you released on cut in the UK. That's a shame. Uh, Stephen Newmouth, Suspiria. Um, this is 2018-77, so it's both releases, uh, both movies. 10-disc, 4K, Blu-ray, DVD, CD, German release box set. That's insane. I actually really like both Suspirias. Of course, the original better, but Don Pate. My favorite is still the UK uh, era release of Necromantic. David Luton, Zombie Flesh Eaters by Blue Underground. I'm in the UK. I can never refer to this Fulci classic as just zombie. Um, Zach Puccinelli, my Greek DVD of Last House on Dead End Street. John Soloway, German 3D Fury Road with Diecast in Interceptor. Ethan Mitchell, they don't release Blu-rays, but I enjoy most of Black Lava's DVD releases like Vomit Gore 4, which I don't think got a release anywhere else. So uh, the question of the week is as I've been trying to watch more of these because I figure when I do watch them, they're insane and I never see anything quite like them. What is your favorite Cat 3 movie? Now, if you're wondering what the hell is a Cat 3 movie, it's a rating used for Hong Kong films in Hong Kong during like the time when Hong Kong was under British rule or British uh, whatever um, part. Um, when China didn't own them, they had like movies they would make and a lot of them were really extreme. So Category 3 was pretty much the highest rating you could get. So um, stuff like The Untold Story, Red to Kill, uh, um, Ebola Syndrome, those are all Cat 3 titles. Robotrix, which I just talked about. So what is your favorite Cat 3 movie? And if it's something very common like Untold Story, give me your backup. Give me a couple, guys. And uh, if you don't have a favorite Cat 3 title, what is your favorite Hong Kong movie? So, uh, yeah, I guess we're going to hop into the update. Okay, this update's fairly large, so let's get into this. City of the Lost Children. Never seen this one. I've seen Amelie and Delicatessen um, a couple times, but yeah. Didn't have this Blu-ray, Ron Perlman. Um, I had the DVD, so yep. Can't wait to check this one out. I'm sure it's pretty good. Then we have Adam's Family and Adam's Family Values. Good price. Um, these are very fun, very enjoyable. I remember watching them. I, I think I prefer the sequel, but I got to rewatch the first one for the run through 91 anyway, so I picked these up. It was like 10 bucks for both of them. Can't pass that up. Then we have Lock Up was in Walmart. Very rarely go to Walmart, but I heard they had some Screen Factory stuff pretty cheap, so I figured, why well, let's hop in there. Um, Lock Up, Stallone. Remember this one being pretty good. Donald Sutherland, John Amos. I, I remember Tom Sizemore was in here, too. He had that funny line where they were in the, the mess hall getting food. I guess it wouldn't be a mess hall, but in the cafeteria getting food. And uh, Tom Sizemore, they threw something on his train. He's like, just like my mother used to make. And he looks, he's like, that's why I killed her. <laughs> so he's made me laugh. And then we have Strangers Pray at Night. Again, very cheap. The copy I had was a used one. And this one was a uh, good price. Like, mine was all sun-faded. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to update it for 5 bucks. Then we have a Scream Factory, Orca, The Killer Whale. It's a really good movie, actually. Jaws ripoff, but Richard Harris. A um, bunch of people in this one. Uh, good score. Dino De Laurentiis. So you know it's going to be batshit crazy. Then we have Brewster's Millions, uh, Richard Pryor, Walter Hill movie, John Candy. I've seen this only on television, you know? Never seen the whole thing. Just always would catch it on TV, so why the hell not? 
Uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, never seen this one. Again, this was a good price at Walmart. Michael Caine, um, yeah, Steve Martin. Again, always saw the cover growing up. I'm sure it's funny. Then we have uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, double feature. I haven't seen uh, these in a long time. I rewatched Excellent uh, Adventure a while back, but I haven't seen Bogus Journey in years. So look forward to checking those out. Then we have the Deadly Mantis. This looks fun. <laughs> 50s giant uh, bug shit. Those are always cool. Then we have uh, the Mole People. I remember seeing those creatures growing up all the time and like just pop culture references. So never seen the Mole People. Then we have the Wasp Woman, which I think Corman? Is this a Corman? Did Corman do this one? Or uh, he, he did, yeah. Produced and directed by Roger Corman. Yeah, never seen this one. Looks cool. And then we got Tempe's uh, Blu-ray release of Ozone. That's right, AK Street Zombies. This stuff will blow your mind. I always really like this one. This is a cool movie. It is SOB, but it has a million features on there. So, yeah, look at that. Got a good sound mix. Can't wait to pop this bad boy in and check it out again. Then we got uh, Reflections of the Living Dead. It's a documentary made by the guys over at Tempe years back. Got a bunch of interviews with people in there. George Romero, John Russo, Wes Craven, Sam Raimi, Toby Hooper, John Landis. All talking about Night of the Living Dead, of course. So, gotta love that. Um, and then we have American Rigshaw. This is one of the Cauldron Films releases. One of their first releases. Um, the first one, actually. Is this the Sergio Martino? Yep. So, grab that one. Why not? Donald Pleasance, of course. And then we have another one here, Abracadabra, their second release. This is kind of, I think, a modern-day Giallo. I really just want to watch a lot of these movies, but hey, i got to watch certain things. Ugh, looks cool. Well, now we got the, um, the Vinegar Syndrome stuff. It's got a bunch of different slipcovers on here. But this is Blood Games. I'm so happy this is released. This movie is exploitation nonsense. It's like a softball team versus a bunch of rednecks. Buck Flowers in it. Um, and so is Mac's dad from It's Always Sunny. That's a good one. Don't sleep on Blood Games. Seriously. It's very enjoyable trash. That's my favorite kind of trash. And then we have um, we have some of their Vinegar Syndrome archive. We have L.A. Wars. Looks like cheesy 90s action. Um, Dr. Jekyll's Dungeon of Death. That's right. These covers are so cool, guys. The Immortalizer. I hear this is a pretty, pretty bad movie, but hey, I like the cover, and I remember seeing the cover as a kid, too. I will watch any, um, 80s or 90s, early 90s trash, so... Patty Hearst. Never seen that one. The Severed Arm. I love that tagline. There's a psycho loose with an axe. His trademark, the Severed Arm. Five victims cannot stop him. Cannot escape the slashing fury. The Sound of Terror. 
And then we got Rad. That's right. That's a cool cover. Blu-ray. Or 4K. Sorry. 4K of Rad. Live in a crazy world, guys. We got Old Dracula. <laughs> Grandpa, stop it. This is one I think that I heard of. Maybe there was a Warner Archive or one of those kind of releases. Best Friends. They were best friends until they crossed the wrong border. Ooh, this looks pretty nasty. And then last we got Like to Watch. The title tells it all. Man, I, I love Vinegar Syndrome, guys. So many great releases. And Sorority Sweethearts, two, two for one, I guess. Let's, uh, yeah, let's hop back to the video. Okay, guys, thank you very much for watching, and as always, have a good one. Mm.